Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. Today I'm speaking to someone else called Thomas, Tamu Thomas. And it was a fantastic conversation about toxic productivity, shame, overfunctioning, underfunctioning, how we are in the Western society so primed to constantly be in the productivity mode and how we can feel safe enough to take a break, to take the pressure off, to slow down, to live a life that is meaningful to us, whatever that looks like, finding everyday joy in small mindful moments. This is quite a long conversation because I just could not stop listening to Tamu. She's just so full of wisdom and she has lots of lots of important things to teach us today. So let's introduce my guest. Tamu Thomas is a qualified social worker and somatic coach. She helps high achieving women feel emotionally safe so they can recover from toxic productivity and underliving. Tamu believes in the potent power of pleasure knowing that joy is a mighty healing tonic with the capacity to teach us how to own the full spectrum of what we feel. Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. I'm so glad to welcome my next guest. Actually brings me joy, which we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about lots of joy and self-trust and fear and doubt and overproductivity and lots of these things that you as listeners really, really tell me that you struggle with. So welcome Tammy Thomas. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to be here, Michaela. So I think we're going to bounce off each other quite a bit today because there's a lot of alignment between the work that we do, but we Mm -hmm. have very different professional backgrounds. So do you want to tell the listeners a bit more about your qualifications, your training, your, the things that led you to where you are right now? Yeah, well, my, my, well, I guess in a unconscious way, my qualifications, my career background um, led me to what I do today. So um, I'm a coach and I work with a integrated approach to support mainly over-functioning, high-achieving women to build a trusting relationship with themselves so they can stop overworking and underliving. And what led me here was a series of events um, and I guess, as, as I was saying, unconsciously becoming a social worker. So I was a local authority social worker Um, I began my training in 2003 and I left social work in 2018 completely. I worked for local authorities until 2016 and became an independent social worker. And um, I had an existential crisis to sum it up neatly. Um, I was very, very detached from life. My health wasn't great. I was completely depleted. I can't remember feeling energized in that period of my life. Like I kept thinking, gosh, what kind of role model am I to my child? I was forever talking about how tired I was. Um, My physical health was suffering. I was experiencing anxiety. um, And that was just, I didn't understand what it was. Even though I was working with a number of clients that experienced anxiety, I just didn't recognize it because it didn't look like what they experienced. Um, And that anxiety, um, which I ignored and thought I just needed to work harder, I wasn't working hard enough, um, then began began to manifest as panic attacks. And um, when by the time I went to go and see my GP, um, there was also issues going on with my immune system. So my mental slash emotional health or my poor mental slash emotional health was being ignored because I didn't understand it. So my body began to tell me how ill I was um, by with illness um, and my immune system was really compromised. I was constantly having coughs and colds that would last like six months and they would peak with sinusitis, laryngitis, bronchitis, like all of the kind of nose and throat and chest infections were my familiarity. 
and then um, having blood work done because there was just so many low level chronic health things going on to find out that my immune system was really compromised and my neutrophils, which are cells that make up part of your immune system, were really, really low. And if they didn't improve over six months, um, my GP said they would consider different methods of treatment, which included a bone marrow transplant to help boost my immune system. And I was like, there's no way I'm having a bone marrow transplant for my immune system. This is actually a wake up call to sort that out. So I left social work and um, I just started Live360. I wanted to do something where I was working with women that were over-functioning. I didn't know it was over-functioning. I just knew that they were working too hard, too much, and they weren't enjoying the fruits of their labor. They were like good girls who were taught to do well at school. Um, if they were black or brown, they were taught that they would um, have protection in um, assimilating and doing better than everybody else in their class. Um, and just weren't experiencing any joy or satisfaction in their lives. So I started Live360 with a podcast, a clothing brand, which was um, simplifying your uh, morning by creating one-piece outfits, um, like a one-piece capsule um, wardrobe and day retreats. And when I had my first, and like just um, events, not necessarily meeting in person events, but just things, not challenges, because I really don't like the concept of doing this challenge and that challenge, but like having journaling experiences and different things we would do together um, in community. I just wanted to bring women together so we would feel less isolated. I would actually be taking time to notice the everyday joys of life. I had a day retreat and that work with women directly, sharing energy with each other, having really juicy, meaningful conversations having conversations that were quite heavy in places, but also seeing the shards of light within those places, I realized that my focus needed to be on actually doing work to help women change their lives. And I stopped being really angry with social work because my career is a major reason as to why I was in the predicament I was in, in terms of my physical and emotional health. Um, and I thought, well, I could actually use my social work skills because social work is like the ultimate coaching. You're trying to help people make changes so that they're able to live a good enough, let's say, life. Um, and I thought, well, I've got loads of training. I've got loads of experience. I've got loads of skills to help people um, progress. Um, so I dabbled. I started a membership group. I wasn't keen on coaching because I wasn't that keen on what I knew of that coaching industry. I didn't understand it. And it just felt a little bit it's a weird industry where one of the major marketing tools is talking about how much money you make. And I just thought, I don't like the idea of treating people as a commodity where you, that you like make money from. It felt very transactional and extractative. I don't even know if that's a real word. And I wanted to do something nourishing. I wanted to do something where people felt like human beings being guided and supported by a human being, not somebody who is kind of presenting themselves as some kind of all-seeing, all-knowing guru, somebody who's saying, look, I'm in the trenches with you. I've got skills. I've got experience. I've definitely got things that can help you. But I am a, um, a lady called Melanie Sabi describes herself as a guide from the side. So I adopted that. I'm definitely a guide from the side, but my guidance from the side can provide you with the space to see yourself fully and to understand that regardless of what your experience has been, you have the tools, you have the medicine you need to be able to make the changes you want to make so that you can experience life the way you choose to. Yeah. And my love of positive psychology left, led me to the world of somatics. So in the beginning of last year, 2020, I did somatic coaching training with a somatic school, which is an ICF accredited um, training course because I really love the relationship we can have with ourselves when we learn to trust our bodies and we learn to begin to feel safe with our felt senses and begin to understand that actually mindset is the tip of the iceberg. And when you start working with your whole body and you start listening to your whole body, you actually have the opportunity to begin to reshape your nervous system. And as you reshape your nervous system, it has an impact on every system within your beautiful complex system, including your brain. 
and that mindset work that we do in a manner that's like an addiction cycle where we're constantly operating at the same level and suppressing our inner world with mindset work, you begin to understand that actually if you're working with your whole beautiful sophisticated body system, you don't need to rely on mindset work like that because you're actually operating in safety, which means you feel safe and grounded and whole and creative to be able to be the person you need to be to do the things you want to do to have and experience the things you want to have and experience in this life. And that's with business, work, play, love, romance, life, money, the whole shebang. So it sounds like that's where, you know, you connect to the living 360, that that's connected with having more joy and not just an absence of the negatives where, you know, you experience the panic attacks and the anxiety. We obviously, that's an unpleasant experience, but it was also a a presence of something positive, Mm -hmm. joy, connection, love, self-trust. I think I often see this in this sort of very reductionist society that we live in, that it's all about removing and fixing and taking Mm -hmm. away the negatives. But we don't think enough about, well, actually, what about empowering ourselves to step into the savoring, to the pleasure, to the joy? And that's part of why I kind of really wanted to bring you onto the Mm. podcast today to think more about how we can find everyday joy. Do you want to speak a bit more about that? Because I know that's the name of your retreat and you're very passionate about everyday joy. I I am because I believe that in a society that is underpinned by toxic productivity, we have been conditioned to overlook the ordinary, the beauty of the ordinary. We've been conditioned to overlook the fact that actually we create our lives in the micro. These macro, these big things that happen here and there, that's not life. However, we're conditioned to believe that unless it's the biggest, the baddest, the boldest, it's not valid. And when you're able to pay attention and be present with the everydayness of life, you'll start to see that there's so much joy everywhere. There's so much splendor everywhere. There is so much vitality everywhere that we will have less of a need to continue the addictive cycle of chasing this big, oh my God, I'm so happy. This is so exciting. You actually begin to appreciate the smaller, quote unquote, events in life and the nothingness where there is lots of joy, like the nothingness that exists in between each goal, where we're able to remember, where we're able to allow ourselves to be soft enough for memories to emerge and for us to remember things and for that remembering to enable us to connect with what we have now, instead of the remembering we tend to do, which is the negativity bias based remembering where we're remembering all the bad stuff, totally dismissing the present stuff and using the stuff that we've not, not that hasn't benefited us in the past, using that to calculate the future. But the most powerful part of my experience with joy, whether it's me or the people I work with, is that Joy is an entry point to all of our emotions, to all of our felt senses, to all of our experiences. And like Brene Brown says, um, you can't numb pain without numbing joy. It's the same with actually experiencing joy. You can't experience joy without experiencing pain, grief, rage, anger, sorrow, bliss, gratitude, appreciation, and all of that stuff. And what's very interesting is that in a society that is based on your productivity, you learn to neutralize anything that takes you into a heightened state that isn't a sympathetic nervous system. Yeah, I've achieved this thing kind of state. We're scared to actually really trust and soften into joy and really savor and enjoy it the same way we're scared to actually experience pain. Um, But when you begin to dabble with joy, you begin to dabble with pain as well, because we're not as clever as we think we are. We can't just say, oh, we're welcoming in joy, but we're not going to welcome in any other feelings. If we're welcoming feeling, we're welcoming feeling. And what happens as you begin to practice joy or you begin to practice experiencing joy, you begin to practice the experience of feeling. So the feelings Mm -hmm. that aren't as pleasant, the feelings that aren't as wholesome, you begin to feel not necessarily safer, but you just begin to feel, you begin to feel what's there. And the more you feel what's there, 
the more you can not necessarily like people talk about being fearless and having unshakable confidence and all of this kind of stuff. My experience and, and, and what I'm learning now, so I'm training um, with organic intelligence to be um, a certified organic intelligence coach, which really looks about, really takes a look at your bi- biology and how your biology is the basis for everything. And um, when you are um, beginning to experience joy, you start to realize, actually, I need to take care of this. And when you start to realize you need to take care of joy, you start to realize, oh, okay, I need to actually take care of the pain. I need to take care of the fear. I need to take care of the sorrow. It's not about banishing it. That's actually a normal part of the human experience. And if I can normalize having joy sitting alongside pain, then I begin to normalize what it is to be a human being. Because one of the things toxic productivity does to us, it makes us hold ourselves to standards that are made for technology rather than making up, holding us to standards that are human standards. So we want to be constantly productive. We want to be energized all the time. We want to be able to find information just like that very quickly. We want to be able to go to sleep. And in the morning, even if we go to sleep at 1am, we want to wake up at six o'clock and be bright and alert like we're a, a phone that's just been plugged in and charged. So it's almost like, it's not almost like I believe very firmly from what I've studied and witnessed and experienced in my own human vessel is that we are so focused on mindset and so focused on strategies and systems and tools and hacks to overcome our humanity that we're defeating the whole object of what it is to be human. So we're trying to live a robotic experience in a human vessel and that's like oil and water. So we're walking around not trusting ourselves because we're not taking care of ourselves. We're dismissing our needs because our, our, our very essential human needs remind us of how human we are. So we have an unconscious, we have a nervous system that is used to being abandoned and used to being neglected. Therefore, we can't show up for ourselves. And when we can't show up for ourselves, because of the culture we exist in, and I say exist for a reason, because of the culture we exist in, we believe that when we can't show up for ourselves, it's because we're lazy, because we're not committed, because we lack discipline. Actually, it's because we lack trust. We haven't built a relationship with ourselves where we're able to actually work in a manner that honors who we are, play in a manner that honors who we are, pause in a manner that honors who we are. We just want to be go, go, go all the time. And it's like, you know, we, we, we treat ourselves like neglected children. Mm. And I think that's, that's obviously really powerful of how we think about the do, do, do and go, go, go. And that hustle culture where it's, it's always about the next goal and rather than sort of experiencing the moment and, and trusting that there are times where you are more productive than the times when you are actually needing to just take your foot off the accelerator and, mm. and have a break. And I think that's, that's not really allowed in, in our Western society, in our no. culture where, you know, regardless of what's going on in your life, you're expected to perform, you're mm-hmm. expected to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you think about self-love and radical self-love, I guess when we, when we think about then taking a break and how much that threatens a lot of people who don't have that sort of safe trust in themselves, safe trust that I can look after myself and nourish myself. How mm-hmm. can we think about radical self-love for people who are so blocked in showing up for themselves? Well, firstly, I'd like to say, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we use terms like hustle culture, because it's not hustle culture, it's our society as a whole. That's just literally how, particularly Western cultures, it's just Western culture. Like it's literally from the industrial, like I can't remember exactly what it was, but maybe let's just say for argument's sake, maybe it was about like 12,000 years ago or something or 15,000 years ago, we began the pro, uh, the process of becoming domesticated. And um, that process of domestication was a really slow process. So things, we were evolving, we were adapting to the evolution, we were becoming more and more the human beings we were before the Industrial Revolution. And then the Industrial Revolution comes along, which is in large parts fueled 
by literally treating people as machines. So it was in large parts fueled by the transatlantic slave trade. The Industrial Revolution created factories. So then society was built around creating workers to work in these factories. So our education, like the education system as we know it now, was built around educating the masses to work for the few. So it's very, very deeply ingrained in our DNA. And we have to, we as a species, we had to adapt so quickly. I believe our bodies haven't even adapted to the stress of that adaptation. And, you know, Mm. epigenetics shows that that kind of trauma is passed down the bloodline, impacts your DNA expression. So that there's all of that historical anthropological, whatever the word is, stuff that has happened. So we, we literally live in a society that makes us sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, freeze. We're literally in a constant state of fight or flight. So you have large parts of society that are constantly in fight, productive, got to do this, got to go, got to achieve, got to be successful, got to be at the um, the office longest, got to do the best piece of work, got to fight for that promotion, got to be seen, got to be heard. And then on that same spectrum, you've got the other people in freeze who are so overwhelmed by what we tout as the only route to success. And that success will lead eventually at some point to satisfaction, who feel so overwhelmed by it that they under function, they operate in, in freeze, they're, they're stuck in that freeze and they're not able to be toxically productive, which we dupe ourselves in believing is like normal human productivity. So we're just walking around in a state where we don't feel safe. Like we're, we're literally mm. not feeling safe. So we're operating like if, if you were looking inside your body, I just feel like you're operating right at the top of your brain. You're pulling all of the energy up from your body right into the top of your brain so that you're um, ignoring all the stuff your body is telling you either in order to be productive or unconsciously tell yourself that you're never going to be able to be that way. And, and that spectrum in this toxic productivity society is a spectrum of not enoughness. So you believe you're not enough deep inside yourself. You believe you're not enough. So you're overworking to prove your worth and your value and to earn your place within society as a value, valuable member of society. Or you're on the um, other end of the spectrum of not enoughness where you believe that you're never going to be enough. So you're constantly underfunctioning. And in both of those places, it feels really, really unsafe to rest, like to truly rest for more than recovery. Because on the freeze end, you believe you're lazy. And on the overfunctioning end, you believe that you're going to not be able to maintain or sustain the success you've created if you take your foot off the gas, like you're going to lose your edge, you're going to, all the things you've amassed over your lifetime, all the success you've had, all the accolades you've received will suddenly disappear. If you decide that you're actually going to have a bedtime routine, you're not just going to plop yourself in bed exhausted at the end of the end of the um, day. You're actually going to have a bedtime routine that supports your whole body, you know, from your nervous system out to recognize that this is wind down time. We're going to begin the process of winding down all that stuff you've been holding on to all day. You can begin to release. You can begin to settle. You can begin to slow down so that you're actually easing yourself into sleep and preparing yourself for a really great uh, night's sleep or at least have the opportunity for a good night's sleep. We don't believe we can do that. We, we, we want to be working right up until the very last and then perhaps we'll consume something uh if you're if you're on the overworking end you'll consume something under the guise that's that something good and nourishing and supportive so maybe a podcast even a guided meditation you're still consuming something rather than in a position where you're releasing so that you're going to bed without holding on really tightly to the weight of everything you carry all day yeah, it just literally makes us feel unsafe to be human. 
unsafe to be human, pe- uh, human beings that work in cycles. Um, it makes us feel unsafe to honour those cycles, because if we take our foot off the gas, we're going to lose absolutely everything. So we're constantly either teetering on the edge of burnout or just learning how to exist within burnout and thinking that we're going to be saved by going on a weekend retreat every now and again or going on holiday to escape everything when actually it's possible to create a life where you are hugely successful and your life is satisfying. So when you're going on holiday, it's not an escape, it's actually an enhancement. But actually getting to that point feels really, really dangerous and terrifying because we have to release control. And toxic productivity culture gives us a false sense of control because we believe that if we continue to work really, really hard, we'll be able to control our narratives. And the reality is, it doesn't matter how hard you work, we can't control everything in life. We don't know everything in life. Actually, most things in life don't make any sense and are quite weird um, and happen whether we want them to or not. But yeah, our, our relationship with productivity and controlling things makes the things you talk about and the things I talk about feel really, really confronting. As comforting as they sound, they're also very, very confronting because we don't understand it. We, we haven't had the opportunity to practice a life where our entire existence isn't built around being able to be productive. Exactly. And that's why it's so important to understand that fear of the letting go, the fear mm-hmm. of slowing down, that it's not just, you know, for the people who we serve, it doesn't feel nourishing to say, why don't you take a day off? That, you know, that feels really threatening. So yeah. understanding that, that, you know, will jeopardize our drive system, jeopardize the, the way that we sort of sit in, in productivity, that that would mean, like, mm-hmm. what if I then don't achieve? What if I'm going to be perceived as lazy? What if my inner critic is going to then have a field day and I won't be able to relax at all? Might as well just finish everything on my to-do list before I go to bed because then I'll feel better. And I guess that's, that's the feeling better bit is the bit that I, we often work with, yeah. letting all the feelings in. You know, the, what, does, what does feeling better mean? You know, short term, long term, how would you live a life that was valuable to you, um, even if you weren't feeling good um, in the short term? You know, what would it mean to let the, the light and the dark in at mm-hmm. the same time? So mm-hmm. it's a really powerful conversation that we're having. And I think we're very aligned with that, that I often have to reassure my clients that I'm not going to stop you from having an ambition. I'm just going to help you not drown in it. Oh, my gosh. Yum, yum, yum. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I'm, I'd be very clear. I have a really, you know, I, I talk about me being in toxic productivity recovery, like toxic productivity was my jam and toxic productivity, the, the thing about it, you can create so much within toxic productivity, qualifications, promotions, increases in salary, creating a business. There are so many Um, things that are built from that toxic productivity, it is really, really difficult to believe that it's possible to do it another way. So I'm not sitting here saying, and you know, I wake up and I have green tea and I meditate and I sit and I contemplate life whilst looking at the clouds for 40 minutes every morning and all of that. I'm literally constantly working, not working on myself, I'm literally constantly working with myself to remember that I have created a life that includes a business that supports my life. I had to get super duper clear because what I realized is that there are many, many people who are doing lots of personal development, growth, healing, therapeutic work so they can function better within work, whether that's as an entrepreneur, freelancer, as an an employed person. And I thought, no, that's inside out. That's back to front. We work to support the way we live, but we're all out here living to support the way we work. So last year, the year that was 2020, there were so many realizations I had and I thought, oh my goodness, I want a life that feels good to me. I want a life that belongs to me. I don't want this life where I'm literally skirting around the outside because I just don't understand myself. I don't really have a relationship with myself. I don't understand what I need. 
but I know that I can work really, really hard and be told that I'm a good person. So I'm going to focus on that. That just felt like, I just felt like a void inside. That wasn't nourishing for me. That wasn't joyful for me. That wasn't um, anything that made me feel content and grounded and whole. So I created, I, I changed my business structure and, you know, I'm on a podcast, quite often on a podcast, we're asked, oh, what have you got to promote? Well, actually, I don't work in a way where I'm constantly having things to promote because that doesn't support my nervous system. That doesn't help me feel safe to rest. That doesn't um, help me feel like I'm a human being and I can take time and be in my humanity. So I structured a workflow whereby I kind of stack everything at particular points in the year. So I have two times in the year where I'm sharing new projects, new products and welcoming people to work with me at those two times of the year, because it's really, really important for me within my day to have time where I can go for walks. It's really important for me to have times in my day where I'm actually making my lunch and I'm sitting down and I'm savoring a lunch um, and just eating lunch, not eating lunch with one hand on the keyboard. I need time where I sit down at my window and look at the beautiful tree outside my window. I need time to read, not just for education, but reading for pleasure. I want to be able to have time that when my daughter walks through the door at school, I'm actually spending time with her. We're talking about her day and shooting the breeze about whatever it is we want to talk about. I also want to be able to walk down the road and go and have lunch with my mum if I feel like it. Those are the things that are really important to me. Those are the things that are really nourishing to me. I you know, want to be able to spend good quality time with my partner. I want to be able to, like yesterday, um, I had a party in the middle of the day for uh, the wonderful, beautiful human beings I get the pleasure and honour of working with. And I get to do that because I built a business that supports the life I want to live. And I've made more money that supports the way I want to live operating this way than in all the other ways when I was working like ridiculous amount of hours per week. And that's all by honouring my whole body rather than focusing what I can do, focusing on what I can do with my brain, which causes me to suppress my body, which means I don't know when I'm getting ill until I'm literally flat out, can't get out of bed. I don't know when I'm, you know, feeling depleted until I'm in burnout and I can't move. It just means that I'm able to have a harmonious, and I don't mean easy, if you think about like the harmonies in songs, the harmonies go up and down. Sometimes there's a lull. Sometimes there's a um, climax. There's, there's all sorts of different parts of a harmony. But it just means that I'm able to work in harmony with who I am, which means that I am a lot more productive in my productive time. Um, and I'm able to do things faster, not because I'm trying to beat this goal or do things in quantum time and all of these kind of phrases that are banded around is because I'm nourished. It's because I'm feeling good. However, within all of that, it takes a lot of work for me to trust. Like there are some times I have to look at my payment, my the payment merchant I use, or I have to look at my bank account to remind myself that it's safe for me to have the time I'm having because I am doing the work or I've got a folder where I keep feedback and testimonials from people I'm working with to remind myself that I am being, I am contributing to this world in a really meaningful way to remind myself that it is safe to sit down on my pink chair, looking out my window, enjoying my tree. Um, and that too is part of the way I look after myself. Um, it's not just by working like with nose to the grindstone. Oh, exactly. And as you're saying that, I'm looking at my own pink chair that I keep myself <laughs> to. Um, it's one of those scallop chairs. Mine too. It's utterly impractical and I love it. It is impractical, but I love it. That's all that matters. Yeah, it is impractical, but it's like you're saying the beauty of, of every day that mm -hmm. when I look at a piece of furniture like mm -hmm. that, it, it lifts me up and fills me with joy. Yep. So sitting down, taking a moment uh, to stare out the window, 
I love that these kind of suggestions that are coming up are all about sort of fleeting moments here and there, little pockets of pausing, as I call it, mm-hmm. that it's not having to be big and complicated and like three hours of meditating mm-hmm. because that is not what we're striving for. Your your self-nourishment can't be another element of your striving. Yeah, it can't be another job. There are so many people that it's like, no. oh my gosh, and now I've got to do self-care as well. Actually, you can weave it in, you know, like one of the things I am a huge advocate for is a mindful shower. So you're having like Mm. maybe two more minutes in the shower. You're washing your body really slowly. You're actually taking time. You know, I know a lot of us use like body like loofers or body like washing gloves or whatever, but take a moment to actually lay your, your, your hands. One of my clients, uh, when we were doing some somatic work, she was like, Oh my goodness, it's so beautiful that all of our hands are the perfect shape and size for the different parts of our bodies. So using your hands that are perfectly shaped for your perfect body and actually feeling your skin as you are showering, actually taking a moment to thank your skin, you know, your large, your, our largest organ, taking a moment to, you know, my neck really likes attention. Like I really enjoy self-touch. So taking a moment to spend some time with my hands on my neck because that feels really good and nourishing to me. Touching the parts of my body that I will criticize at times like, oh, my, my, my jiggly belly. And actually thank that jiggly belly for being my jiggly belly and for always, you know, looking after and protecting my vital organs and being part of my digestive system. Actually thanking our bodies and seeing our bodies as the beautiful vessel we inhabit rather than something that's supposed to look or perform a certain way, you start to build a relationship with yourself. And that's in the shower. You can up the ante if you want and put like a drop of your favorite essential oil in the shower tray or in the bathtub whilst you're showering. And then it becomes a really sensory somatic and somatic is the Greek, uh, ancient Greek word for the living body. You're actually feeling like you're inhabiting, you're living inside your body. You're, you're actually engaging your felt sense and your feet, like you're feeling your feet on the ground. You're feeling the sense of where your body is in space. You're actually becoming connected with your body without all of this body positivity stuff, which can be so triggering for so many people. Um, without all of these huge expectations, you don't even notice because you're in that moment. And even if it's really challenging at first, with practice, it becomes normal. And you can do that every day if you choose to. You can decide there's going to be two mornings or whenever it is you shower, there's going to be twice a week that I'm going to make my shower mindful. And actually, I'm going to buy that really nice shower gel for £10 rather than the buy one, get one free shower gels I usually use. And I'm going to enjoy my experience and give myself like an everyday moment of joy whilst I'm doing something that is ordinary and mundane. Mm. And that means that we also layer it up on something mm-hmm. we're already doing. It's mm-hmm. not adding another thing in that we keep forgetting because most of us, hopefully, do take showers. So it's something <laughs> well, that Ashton we can layer Pushta, on. Ashton or whatever his name is, and, and Mila, whatever her name is, apparently they don't, but uh, they wait till you can visibly see dirt. But most of us uh, shower practically every day. And, and that's the thing, yeah. like everyday joy is literally looking at the everyday things you do and seeing how you could do them in a way that enhances joy or where you're able to express gratitude. Um, You know, in the wise words of Bananarama in their 80s jam, (laughs) it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. And if you actually take time to change the way you're doing things, it has a really huge impact on your entire life because that's, that's where we live. Like in those every day, the cups of tea we make, the food we make, the the cleaning we do, the way we sit around, how we use our time when we're sitting in our homes. If we actually begin to change the way we do those things, we will reap the rewards. There will be a huge return on investment. And it's not massive, great, big thing until it's a massive, great, big thing. Like one of my clients, she couldn't touch herself in a way that was meaningful. It just made her freeze. She had experiences uh, as a child that made her only feel safe outside her body and actually connecting with her body felt very unsafe. And um, over the passage of time of us working together, 
she sent me a voice note on Instagram. She's like, Tamla, I can't believe it. I'm doing it. I'm touching myself. And that seemingly ordinary thing, that minor thing. So her, her, her task was to moisturize her hands slowly and over a passage of time, moisture hands, her, moisturize her hands even more slowly. And gosh, she's touching herself all the time now. But it became, a, it was a really small thing that happened in the micro that became a macro. It became a really big event when she realized she had been doing it over a period of time and she had begun to enjoy it. That for her is a lot more nourishing and a lot more healing and, and um, supporting her to go from um, a point of trauma to post-traumatic growth because it was something that was done over a long period of time so that her nervous system began to feel safe with what she was doing and started to reshape her nervous system so touch wasn't just about traumatic experiences she had had in the past. It was actually something she was giving to herself now as an adult who had agency. And, you know, I wasn't doing trauma work with her as such because I'm not qualified for that, but I am trauma informed and trauma sensitive. And I knew that there were ways around working with her so she could experience some things in a manner that felt safe for her so that she could begin to experience herself differently and therefore take the action, the different actions she needed to take to be able to create the experience she wanted to experience. And I guess that is also where we think about creating value and meaning that, you know, it's the little micro things. So you might think, well, it's just a bit of body lotion or it's just a bit of moisturizer. It's, it signifies meaning. That means mm-hmm. that I'm worthwhile. I mm-hmm. can, I, I can touch myself in a way that feels relaxing, mm-hmm. soothing, safe. And mm-hmm. I, you've said the word safe a lot of times today. And I really resonate with that because it's a lot of the, the work that I do in compassion focused therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy. Or even with couples of helping couples feel safe in the presence with each other to do those kind of things, to explore, to be, be a human being rather than just a human, human doing. So mm-hmm. it's something that I think is really, really interesting to see how you also connect that with polyvagal theory. Um, and I am going to invite someone to speak specifically about that at some point, but do you want to just touch upon what polyvagal theory is and why that's so important in your work? Oh, polyvagal theory. It's just like a manual for living. I absolutely love the work of Stephen Porges and I absolutely adore the way Deb Dana, who is also a social worker, has made it practical and accessible. And she says something along the lines of um, polyvagal theory, something, something, and helps us take the risk of living or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But it really, really does help you understand that the fear we experience that can often make us feel like it's unsafe for us to do things. Sometimes it's not genuine fear. Sometimes, like quite often, my clients will like think, oh my goodness, it's making me feel like anxious. And I'm like, well, let's, 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 let's spend a moment with that anxious feeling, locating it in the body, spending some time with it, being present with it, seeing whether or not you can keep it company, seeing whether or not there's uh, anything that's coming up from that felt sense. Quite often when we um, are um, anticipating the feeling of the beginning of the feeling of anticipation and the beginning of the feeling of anxiety, it has a very similar quality and one can be mistaken for the other really um, easily. So when we look at something like um, polyvagal theory, and I do, like I literally uh, teach parts of polyvagal theory to my clients, because when you start to understand these are normal parts of being a human being, and you understand if you have been, even if you've been an overfunctioning high achiever, there has been an element of your living experience you have shut down. So even if you're in that dorsal shutdown phase where you are like suppressing loads of things because you can't cope with them, whether you're on the high functioning end or you're on the overwhelmed and under living uh, on the underworking end of the scale, when you understand polyvagal theory, you realize what you think is fear is actually uh, not necessarily just fear. Fear is there, 
But when you are coming out of that shutdown phase and we're going up the autonomic ladder, you are going from shutdown. You need some drive, some oomph. We need that sympathetic activity, which when you've been taught to avoid it, particularly as a woman, you're not supposed to be angry. Don't get hysterical. All of those sorts of things. You need to be like civilized, well-behaved and all of that. When you're actually going through that sympathetic nervous system activity, it can be so scary that you choose to avoid it and go back into shutdown. Actually, that sympathetic activity is necessary for us to go up the autonomic ladder, up the autonomic nervous system ladder, so that we can then begin to occupy the top of the ladder, that ventral vagal state, where we can be people that self-actualize and have really great connections with people, we have choice, we're able to contextualize things, we have agency. To get to that place and to get to that place sustainably and to be able to inhabit that place in a manner that is regenerative, we actually need to go up the ladder and experience that sympathetic activity, that anger, that rage, that whatever it is, so that we can get up to that next phase. And when people see that, which is why I believe, you know, I come from a, a career background where we had to be evidence-based. We were playing God, essentially, with people's families, deciding who got to live with whom, etc., and who needed to have referrals to what service and making recommendations that could be depriving people of their liberty because they needed to go into a secure unit or be sectioned or whatever. When you provide people with an evidence base, they begin to understand oh, this is part of being a human being. This is normal. It's not bad. It's not going to prevent me from being the wife that I am, the entrepreneur that I am, the mother, the friend, the sister, the lover, the whatever that I am. It's actually a normal part of the process. And by me working to prevent myself from experiencing this very active part that feels full of fear and uncertain, by me doing all of this mindset work to prevent myself from experiencing that, I'm actually preventing myself from living. And polyvagal theory, I, I believe it just provides us with a really beautiful map to remember that these things are normal and we will go up and down the ladder. But the more you inhabit that ventral vagal state, the more choice and more context you have, you actually have a bit of breathing space between you and what you're experiencing. So you remember, this isn't going to last. I can actually pause and take a moment and choose how I'm going to respond to this. And even if I don't have that opportunity to choose how I'm going to respond, and I'm fully in reaction mode, there will come a time where I have an opportunity to choose, and I can be the person I need to be and do the things I need to do so that I can return back to that ventral vagal state where I'm able to have meaningful connections with other people and myself. I'm able to co-regulate because co-regulation facilitates self-regulation. I'm able to remember that interdependence fuels independence. And um, it just really helps you look after yourself the way human beings need to be looked after. And I refer to polyvagal theory for a lot of the work I do with human beings. And it's so, so powerful as well because it explains what happens on a biopsychosocial level, yeah. you know, explains what happens within you, what mm -hmm. happens between you and others. Like you're saying, interdependence is very powerful because we do need as human beings to be relating to others. Yeah, that's what makes us survival. We, we need yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We are tribal. We need yeah. to be in, in collaboration with others. Mm -hmm. I love also the permission there for the rage, for the anger that, you know, as, as women, we are often told to be small. We're often told to, you know, hold back and not be hysterical. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be really difficult when we're stepping out of this way of living that we all have done to not feel angry, to not yeah. feel outraged that actually, why have I been told to do this? Why have I been praised to be this good girl for so long? And mm -hmm. it's often we obviously see that sort of midlife clarity that can come where women realize, actually, basically, fuck this shit. I don't want to live like this anymore. <laughs> and I can, Hell and, yeah. Yeah, basically, I'm sorry for swearing, but I it's, love it. sometimes, you know, the F word can be very liberating. Yes. That, uh, stepping out of that. And I often kind of call that rising with a roar that mm. you sort of feel that, you know, I can't live like this anymore. That the sort of fierce self-compassion that Kristen Neff talks about. So 
it's been fantastic to learn so much about this and obviously how well aligned we are serving people who are in this space where they are on the surface looking like they're doing well. It's like that duck paddling along calmly on the surface, but underneath the surface, it's a hell of a lot of action going on because otherwise you will drown. Yeah. So I I kind of use that image a lot with with my clients to kind Mm. of see that, yes, people may not raise concerns about you. They may even feed you um, (laughs) with more bread because you're paddling along so serenely. It looks okay until it doesn't, you know, until you hit that wall metaphorically and Mm -hmm. and physically, much like you've talked about when your body sort of says stop, like you had in your own journey, circling back to the very beginning of a conversation Mm. that you so vulnerably shared, how you actually felt that your body was saying no literally so it's a lot of those things manifestations in the body that i'm really fascinating about so i'm really glad that you've told us more about the somatic work that you do as well so rounding things off you've told us lots of things about how we can without too much effort because it's not like you're a project to be fixed actually we're layering up onto what you're already doing in your life to find more mindful moments to find everyday joy you've given us some examples of pausing We talked a lot about how you've designed your business to be more purposeful, to serve you as well as the clients you serve. So let's think about the final bit. We've talked about joy a lot, but what about play? What do you do that's playful, Tamu? Dancing in the middle of the daytime, like I did yesterday. Quite often it's on my own or forcing my daughter to join me. Um, Yesterday it was in, in beautiful communion with other people. Uh, Roller skating, I really enjoy roller skating. Um, I love puzzles um, and I really like puzzle because like there's there is an end goal you want to complete the buzz puzzle but it's not it's not competitive there's no winning or losing you're you're doing your puzzle um, I love doing coloring I've got coloring books and and lovely colors spending time doing coloring but you know Michaela I cannot think of one area of my life regardless of how serious it is and how um, big it is. I cannot think about one area of my life that isn't playful. There's always a playful element to what I do because it's part of who I am. It's part of what makes mm. me makes me, me. So I do have those those moments where, you know, as I talked about roller skating, um, my daughter and I are gonna get bikes. Um, but yeah, every day has an opportunity to be playful. Like when I had the opportunity to really sit down and define what success is for me, for me, if I've had a day where I've done either of all of these things, I've sung, I've danced, I've laughed, I've helped people, that is a successful day. So if you are having a day where practically every day there is an element of dancing, singing, laughing, as well as the helping people, you're having a pretty playful time um, all the mm. time. And all of that stuff supports the ventral part of your vagus nerve. So there you go. Mm. And absolutely, I, I think about that a lot in, in my book, The Lasting Connection, about how playfulness sits so closely alongside feeling safe and soothed. Yeah. When you are safe, you feel you can take out you know, the boundaries for yourself to to play. So we're giving examples of activities, but it's not really here a pressure to do more stuff. Like, Mm -mm. oh, must have taken up roller skating because Tammy said... Yeah, and I'm going to go buy 20 colouring books. Exactly, because then that's another to-do list. It's Mm -hmm. another project. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think playfulness can be, you know, saying fuck it on a podcast like I just did now. It's a sense of liberation (laughs) and freedom (laughs) to be who you want to be and and do fun things that kind of light you up with joy as well so i love that you used the word enjoy you know i enjoy dancing i enjoy roller skating that in that moment when you're doing those things washing up with some tunes on having a bit of a boogie whilst you're washing the dishes can be a very jolly time yeah and then you get through the chores without feeling like, oh God, here's more laundry to fold. I do the same thing. I sing loudly when, when I'm at home in the house. I sing loudly um, Whitney Houston and stuff like that that oh. I absolutely cannot hit the notes of at all. But it's okay because I'm enjoying it. Love language. I wonder if you can give the listeners a final takeaway, you know, a permission to give them or a pressure to take off them. What would that be? Um permission like uh, well uh, permission I think permission is a bit of a ruse because we're we're hanging about waiting for permission you don't need permission just do just do if you have an impulse act on it um but what I would share is at the beginning of your day 
even if it has to be if you're a parent that does the school run and things like that, even if it has to be after school. But ideally, before you do any of that stuff, lie down flat on the ground. If you need to raise your knees and have your the, the soles of your feet flat, flat on the ground to support your lower back, do that. Whatever you need to do to make yourself comfortable, if you need to have a p- pillow for your head, do that. And just lay down on the ground for one minute. No more than one minute, just one minute with your left hand on your heart, your right hand on your navel and ask yourself, what do I need? And listen to the answer and try to do something that day that honours whatever it is you said you needed. It may be something as simple as to be hydrated. So making sure that you are being hydrated. It might be that you need to state your needs and share something that's been on your heart. Um, so find a way to do that. But start the day being supported by the ground, being supported by our beautiful planet, who is, you know, our home, our mother, always supporting us. And start your day by asking yourself, what do I need today? Beautiful. I'm going to go and sit in my pink scallop chair and stare out the window after yes. I've done one, one, one minute on the floor. Yes, uh, please a Beautiful do. summary. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been a joy. And I don't mean that just as a pun, but it has been a joy to talk to you today. And I hope that people have found it a joy to listen to as well. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to the end of this. We could have carried on for ages and we actually did continue to talk even after we turned the recording off, which kind of regret that we have continued recording because we were also talking about the harshness and the danger of the positive vibes only message, the toxic positivity that can come from when we think they need to be happy, happy, happy all the time. We're not inviting pain, sorrow, fear, and other negative experiences, unpleasant emotions that are a part of being a human being. So we talked a lot about how we resonate with each other's work. And you might have heard that today, how we are well aligned. Those of you who've been listening to the podcast for quite a while, who also know about the retreats I used to run, the Pause Purpose Play retreats, where I help you feel safe going into a pause, looking at all those thoughts that get in the way of you taking a break before you break, looking at all the thoughts that challenge you from slowing down, the inner critical voice that doesn't give you the permission to slow down, that tells you that you are lazy or complacent or not disciplined enough if you take a moment for yourself, where you're not being productive. If you need to look at those things in more detail, why don't you download my worksheet, Calm the Overwhelm? So go to thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm to download this worksheet that will tell you some of the signs of you being in overwhelm. Some of the things that Tammy talked about today of the body saying no, showing you signs that you need to slow down. And then moving on to simple things you can do to have a mindful moment, to take a break without it being really complex and big, but actually just little pockets of pausing. And then moving on to thinking about what's getting in the way, what's stopping you from taking a break. So go ahead to thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm to download this worksheet. And I would love to hear from you. What did you think of this episode? What do you think of the worksheet? Do reach out to our team on the website through the contact form. And also, If you need any more support or help in doing this, we are here for you. You can reach out to my team for help with coaching or therapy, one-to-one work or online courses. We are here to support you in moving away from toxic productivity and overfunctioning. And until I speak to you next time, do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. 
And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. You can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.